Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, should we just should we just get that part of it out of the way? The, the sure. I mean, the the drinking part. Should we just chug right now so we can get to that happy place even faster? <laughs> I started a little bit before you, which is why I said we can't call me a of course, professional. Of course you did, Jamie. <laughs> I had to try it. I just opened the bottle. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay, I, so I, was, uh-huh. I was pre-gaming, so Jamie, go first. What were you drinking? Um, I have a double shot of limoncello. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Finally, we brought it back. I brought it back from Italy and finally opened the bottle this, tonight for yeah. this. So Nice. <laughs> And water because it's really strong. <laughs> this would be the best podcast ever. Even even better than the first time when Jamie was ridiculously drunk on it. <laughs> I really was. And the thing yeah. was, like after that, we had to do your mixtape, and you were still so giggly. And it's like, I, I'm not I lie. yeah, I'm already giggly. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Andrew's going to come in at some point uh, and just be like, calm down. I doubt it. And it's, I, and it's I, 9.30. I, and I should mention, Andrew, this is the first over drinks we've ever done without Andrew. We don't have his his uh, his bad beer choices. I, I was going you to know. say it's because we make better drink choices. Hashtag. We do make ha- hashtag better drink choices. That should yes. be like the secret so, handshake in. You need to have an appropriate level drink. So Jen, Jen, what's your better drink choice? So um, I have to, I can tell you what I was pre-gaming with. Um, I had this Cote de Rhone, so I'm fancy. So fancy. It is. The (laughs) bottle's empty, but I can't say that I actually drank the whole bottle, for the record. And um, I'm just sipping on some cinnamon mint tea from Trader Joe's, just so I can not slur my speech at the moment. But Mm. I can still giggle. So there you go. There it All is. Right, fair enough. <laughs> um, I'm going super fall. I've well, my interpretation of fall. Um, I've got a Great Lakes Brewing Company Edmund Fitzgerald Porter that is open right now. And then when that runs out, I have a glass of um, Elijah Craig Small Batch Bourbon waiting for me. Mm-hmm. And I know I'm doing that in the wrong order: beer before liquor, never <laughs> sicker. But I, it's it's okay. Like two drinks is not gonna. Do you have to teach okay. Augment at 6 in the morning? No, I do not have to teach at 6 in the morning. My first class tomorrow is at 4.30. No, I so. said augmented 6. Oh, well, I don't have to do that either tomorrow. <laughs> I do. <laughs> Plus 4, flat 6, all written um, the first time in English by a guy named William Crotch. That's why I have to <laughs> Are you serious? I am very serious. <laughs> oh, Billy Crotch. That's what I call him. Oh. Uh, no, I'm not making this up. And maybe I could find a link on Google Books or something like that. He, he was the first person who wrote it down in English. I'm not making this up. That's good old Billy Crotch <laughs> in the French Six. Mildly terrifying. <laughs> oh, I will not be teaching Crotch. that in the morning. What a horrible, horrible, unfortunate last name. Yeah. Why would you not teach them that, Jamie? Well, I mean, yeah, come on. My counterpoint um, teacher did, so that's why I remembered it. <laughs> and yeah. subsequently, you remembered how to make an augmented sixth. I did. Yeah. I would hope, yeah. not just the crotch I... part. <laughs> I think I think the mood in the school of music tomorrow is going to be a little somber for those type of jokes, but that's okay. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, anyway, oh. let's uh, let's get to the piece that we're going to talk about. Jamie, this was it was kind of both of your choices because um, both of yeah. you are traveling to Bowling Green later this week. Um, Actually, when... I'm not. Oh, you're. I thought you were. I thought about it. Oh, well, I know. I'm sorry, Jen. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Hey, you know, my like more time with my new BFFs that I'm going to talk about in this podcast. So that's cool. But I will miss you, you Jamie. Yeah. No, I have uh, a premiere that popped up in November that I need to spend money on. And I'm going to be in Detroit the weekend after New Music Festival. Plus, you know, like scarcity drives demand. I'm in Bowling Green a lot. (laughs) <laughs> they don't need me. <laughs> you you want to be the rarity there. Yeah, exactly. People mm-hmm. need to miss me. Yeah. Okay, well, <laughs> never mind. Jen is going to mm-hmm. Bowling Green, where the composer we're going to talk about tonight, Sarah Kirkland Snyder, is going to be one of the guest composers at that festival. So uh, any anyway, both of you kind of collaborated on this choice, so... What uh, this piece that we're going to listen to, or listen at least some of, because it's quite long, um, is called "Unremembered." So, who wants who wants to tell us about this piece a little bit? Well, I think Jen should start with who Sarah is, because I think your choice was first. You said we should listen to Sarah. No, really. She's shaking her head. No, for those of you. This in the is audience. a podcast, Jen. Like <laughs> okay. you have to speak. <laughs> Well, I thought, okay, so Jamie, and I think we'll collectively figure this out. Um, I thought it was your idea because of the Bowling Green Festival and that Sarah was one of the guest composers there and because I was going there and we're going to be on the same concert. And I was like, oh, I am now Facebook friends with Sarah Kirkland Snyder. And I was like, I should probably listen to her music before I go to the festival. Yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, Which, by the way, Sarah, if you're listening, can we be friends? Because your music is awesome. I think we all need to be best friends with Sarah. Um, so when did you become friends with her on Facebook? I want to say Just... probably around the time where Kurt Dole's like announced the lineup on his Facebook. Okay. And I was like, I should probably friend her because we all have so many friends in common because that's how the book yeah. of face works. It is. <laughs> It is. Um, So, okay, I I personally love this piece, and uh, my students have really dug into it, too. And that's one of the reasons I suggested it, is because I don't... I don't know. I I think it's really engaging. You've been listening to it a lot. I've been listening to it a lot. I recommend it to a lot of my students who um, think they don't like anything from this century and I'm like you're lying this is you're gonna love this just go listen to this um but it's also been a really cool kind of social media study for me because about well it was before the Bowling Green lineup was announced um this was performed at the Shift Festival in DC which used to be Spring for new music or spring for music in New York, and it moved and changed names, and it's what it is. Um, <laughs> it's basically a bunch of orchestras from around the country come in and um, program primarily contemporary music 
programs and the tickets are inexpensive so you can have a huge audience um and and it did really well in new york and i found out about it because toledo symphony went there my first year as youth orchestra coordinator so i couldn't even i wasn't even making enough money to be able to go with the orchestra (laughs) like totally could have tagged along but um but yeah so i saw it in new york i saw i mean i observed it from afar and then it moved to dc because it seemed to be a better venue for it and um sarah had a new york times review that week and it was it was pretty brutal um and her reaction to it was so gracious and so pointed at the very same time and i thought you know i really want to pay attention to what happens to this so um, I like, actually teach this. What were some of the things that, what were some of the things the Times said and how did she respond to it? Funny you should ask. Cause I, Cause I have it right in front of me. Cause I have it right in front of me. Um, the worst sentence, what, and she got a paragraph in this review. Um, Carolyn Shaw was on the other part of the program and this particular reviewer just fell in love with Carolyn Shaw's sound and wanted more of that and less of Sarah's. And so this one particular paragraph was about Sarah's and the worst sentence was uh, that her piece was an overlong exercise in candy floss, Gothic angst. (laughs) What? Candy floss, Gothic angst angst candy floss gothic angst and um you know i wouldn't have even read the review at all if sarah hadn't posted right after that this picture of of someone that's like half dressed in goth with like this three foot pink wig like pale pink with hot pink wrapped around (laughs) it and this super dramatic pose and um and she was like, well, there it was, my first, you know, like, nasty for no reason review. And so we all kind of went, read it, were horrified by what, what not only what was said, but, like, the language that was used. This mm-hmm. was clearly someone talking about a piece by a woman. Now, the reviewer was a woman, too. So, I mean, normally, I would say, what is this person's problem? But Sarah wrote this beautiful rebuttal after her social media <laughs> photo <laughs> you know she took a few weeks to think about it and wrote um this fantastic rebuttal on new music box and the sentence that really stuck with me was uh she said the subtle currents of problematic gender messaging in academia the media and culture at large can toxify the soil in which young female composers uh musicians hope to grow their careers i just thought like that was such a powerful way to refute a negative review. So I actually teach this as part of my uh, entrepreneurship class for composers now, um, like how to fall upstairs. <laughs> uh, you get a bad review, and I usually phrase it just this way, if you get a bad review or if somebody is causing trouble for you on social media, do not go apeshit and your career will survive. And and she's just, this per- piece was a perfect example of- um, That's good advice. Of, <laughs> how to respond and evoke, you know, loyalty without it being overly sympathetic, without it being um, something that one particular crowd would look down on. So in addition to this being a wonderful piece, she's just had, she's been so graceful about, and maybe that's the wrong word, maybe that's too feminine, but 
powerful in her responses without being a jerk, <laughs> which we're all capable of when we receive a review that, I don't know. I mean, negative. I, you know, I, I haven't obviously read the review and I'm only responding to the one sentence, but it just, it, it also just kind of seems like the reviewer just loves the sound of their own words. You know, which I think is yeah. kind of the case in most critics and reviewers. They're they're really infatuated with themselves, and thus that's how they review others' work is through their unique lens, which more or less everyone everyone should have, in their opinion, right? Yeah, maybe. I, I mean, I don't know. I like the ratatouille idea of a critic. Their ideas are kind of worthless. <laughs> I like there, that we're that we're conjuring Ratatouille to talk about. Oh, this. you know, Disney movies are fair, fair game as long as we don't put them in the podcast. <laughs> I was actually thinking, like, as soon as you uttered that sentence and those lines, I was like, "How long did that take for the critics to figure <laughs> that one out?" Seriously, yeah. <laughs> Let's Google some words. <laughs> Let's look at some synonyms that could sound good together. Cool. <laughs> I mean this this piece is a 13 song cycle for multiple singers, orchestra and electronics with brand new poetry written specifically for the piece. So the and the poetry like I was um I was on Sarah's Bandcamp and um looking at looking at the the poetry that and just reading through it and it really like I don't know there's not that I have watched the show or but it it kind of has this feeling of like stranger things yeah or Maybe even like a Stephen King novel, like not that it's scary, but it just has that, you know, the child. It, mm-hmm. It's it's all seen from the child's point of view, right? right. And, and even that's maybe, not. I I don't feel like that's a story that gets told a lot. Is uh, you know, seeing seeing the world from a child's point of view. Right. And so the and the the poet talked about like how this many of the poems were kind of based on childhood memories of his and and you know his experience growing up in um rural Massachusetts. So mm-hmm. it just like we're we're we kind of focused on a couple of the songs and the one that really kind of stuck out as kind of having that you know being a kid and being scared was the song The Witch. Mm-hmm. Well, and the thing that I kind of latch on to with that is not just that you're looking at it from the perspective of the child, but the child that you were. This is looking back right. at like yeah. a very warped memory of what did or might have happened. And your mm-hmm. perspective wasn't perfect. Your memory certainly isn't. And so I think they really, you know, collectively capture a larger than life sense of fear in some of these movements and certainly in the witch. I thought that one was awesome. Yeah. Um, but I mean, just... the last, it was the last line I think that was, uh, that was really good. Um, or the, the last stanza, I was so young, had barely lived, but I recognized the fear was what lay waiting out of view in all our older years. <laughs> it's like, man, 
That's really good. (laughs) (laughs) You guys have the advantage of like listening to these individually a lot too. Usually I, you know, I hit track one and I listen to this as 13 songs at a time. So I'm Mm going to have a hard time parsing out some of the individual movements at some point here, but thank you for pulling up the lines, Rob. (laughs) Well, no, no problem. Um, Well, what is it? I mean, because I, I haven't listened to the whole thing. I've just listened to the, the, I mean, I, I tried to, you know, get a taste of, every single one but what is it like listening to it as an entire 13 song cycle i mean it's an hour long so this is a concert Mm -hmm. you know you're going to see this one piece for the concert so what is it like in that respect well actually it's excuse me it's it's been performed as a full set so few times that it Mm. really is a production it is the cd it's meant to be it was originally written to be produced for this disc. Um, or Didn't we talk disc. about this when we, we did, did your, your Really Drunk podcast? Yep. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, you're starting to remember. Yay! Uh, I was going to yeah, bring I, that up. I, I actually think that they're only doing excerpts at Bowling Green. I'm pretty yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. I, would, I would be shocked if they did more. because Me too. Me too. Um, it's, it's pretty epic. But, um, but yeah, it's written to be a, a more produced sound. And, you know, that makes me actually it brings to mind and I probably mentioned this during the Fagerland over drinks as well, but it brings to mind um, Hans Zimmer. You know, a lot of his recorded sounds are like the one that I hear most often is that he will play a bass drum with the softest mallet possible as quietly as possible and just that's the only thing going on and then amplify it in production and mm-hmm. that is the basis of, of a, you know, an, a larger gesture, but you barely get a sense of that. And you wouldn't in live performance. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. I, I kind of think about this um, set of songs as, as in that way. You know, what am I getting on the CD that I don't get, I wouldn't get in the concert hall? And Jenny will have to let us know, like, the difference you know, not in this podcast, obviously, but um, mm-hmm. hearing it live versus versus hearing the CD. But, um, but yeah, what were you gonna say? Oh, I was I was going to say that um, actually, my first listening of this album was recently, so I had to go to Cincinnati like for a hot second for a day, and so on my way to Cincinnati, I listened to the album once in its entirety, and then also again coming back late at night in its entirety too. And that was my impression was that this album was meant to be fully recorded and produced and that was its best way of existing. Although I don't know how you'd include the illustrations because the person who wrote the poems also made illustrations. And so thinking about the general content of the songs and the poetry, it almost reminded me of William Blake's songs of innocence and experience. Mm. And it also reminded me of Bolcom's interpretation of William Blake's songs of uh, innocence and experience too. Cause mm. it's almost like, I wouldn't say they're printy. They're very interesting illustrations, and I'm no, like, art expert, but um, that's what it was kind of reminding me of in that instance, but that we had a fully produced album, and that also, along with William Balcom's Songs of Innocence and Experience, that is rarely performed live, too, since it's, like, full orchestra, soloist, full choir, children's choir, folk, band, (laughs) rock band... (laughs) His wife. No, I'm serious. I saw it live once. 
when I was in college, and I'm never going to see it again. Live. Light show, like, good luck. acrobats, no, Cirque du Soleil is in It the... was so close to that. <laughs> I think they were like, okay, guys, we're doing this in Orange County. We got to cut back on the dancers. Okay, so <laughs> that's why. <laughs> no, it's a well, huge production. You yeah. Know? Well, and maybe yeah. it's just one of those pieces where, like, each of its uh, you know iterations has a slightly different life when you perform it live you only get some of the movements but you get the illustrations and and i think we're seeing more and more pieces that are adaptable like that you know Mm -hmm. or or grow to be adaptable as performance venues say hey we've got we've got a 20 minute slot what can you do with this right Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. so yes i'm very curious and i'll let you guys know how it turns out live yeah yeah that'd be great um, this kind I, of um, sorry go ahead Jamie I was just going to say I also listened it's 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 the perfect length to listen to on the drive to Buffalo which I make like you know <laughs> twice a month actually since we're picking on Andrew because this is his first over drinks that he's not participating in right I think I played this for him in the car like five times and he kind of zones right out when we're not listening to something he knows <laughs> <laughs> and so you know on on the third listening you know we got to his favorite movement which i don't think we're going to talk about today um which one i think it's the fourth one i can't remember the title let me i'll pull it up while we're talking but um and he's just he's just like man this is this is really cool and about you know half hour later this is really cool too what are we listening to no, the, f- the fourth <laughs> one hear- the fourth one is the guest, and we are going to talk about that. No, it's not that one. Um, the barn, the estate, the slaughterhouse, the girl, the swan, maybe the, the swan. witch, the river. It might be the swan. Um, the swan is my favorite, and I know we're not going to talk about it, but uh, no, we are going to talk about it. We're um, probably going to have to talk about it because you just brought it up. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so good. Um, just the 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 kind of textures she pulls out with the with the harp mm-hmm. is is really nice it's a different sound compared to the, all the 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 rest of the movements but what i was going to say earlier is that this whole endeavor kind of reminds me of bjork in a way now yes. i will say I will say that Bjork has been on my mind because uh, just uh, this past Thursday, I recorded a podcast, which will come out later, with uh, Angelica Negron, and we talked about Bjork a lot. Um, <laughs> well, well, on the podcast that you will hear, there's not so much Bjork, but like in the in-between times, oh my God, we totally, I fanboyed and she fangirled about <laughs> Bjork hard um which was amazing but it it, yeah it reminds me of bjork but my question is for for you guys what separates this from bjork why is this concert or classical and bjork isn't or vice versa jen's gonna have the answer you know well at first i thought of microbeats but um Um, you know i I kind of have that question, too, because um, as of late, I've been um, sharing with my freshman students, um, like, concerts I go to. I'm like, you guys need to get out. Because, again, I think we've mentioned this podcast. I live in Delaware, Ohio. And that they should go and venture out and go to these different concerts. And this week, um, there are two concerts, one I can go to, one I cannot, um, which, um, the long story short, is Carolyn Shaw is actually in the Columbus area. And I was like, you guys should go and listen to her. And I played her some of the music. And I also played 
them the um, the song that she did with Kanye. And then later on, there was like a little like Mufi Epsilon reception. And I'm like, hey, also speaking of other things you guys should probably listen to, there's this album called Unremember by this woman, Sarah Kirkland Snyder, and I want to know what you guys think of it. And they're like listening to it. They're like, whoa, this is interesting. And you can tell like their their brains are kind of processing it. And I was like, what would you call this? Is this classical music? Is this more like indie classical? I said, maybe it's indie. I don't, I don't know what you'd call it. Um, so I guess the long story short was they were still thinking about it. And I'm also still thinking about it because, um, especially because what we were talking about earlier is that I think it's meant to be a recorded album. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And I think that yeah. might be a difference. Um, I don't, I don't care to label it as classical. I don't care to label it as indie classical. I want to say that this is a song cycle. You know, maybe it's a throwback to the whole like idea of the concept album where you have a whole bunch of songs that relate to each other musically and have a similar theme. Um, so I can't really answer your question. There you go. Um, I'm, I am still thinking about it, but what, but um... no, but that, that you're, you're exactly right. And that's what I've been like kind of, and, and that's kind of what uh, Angelica and I talked about was like, it's the, obviously, you know, it's obviously the labels don't matter, you know, mm-hmm. but at some point, you know, I started listening to this and I had an instant reaction you know, I, and it, it wasn't exactly like if I was listening to this as a pop album, I'd be like, this is brilliant. Mm-hmm. However, if I listened to this with like the classical ears, then I have somewhat of a, oh, I know what this is. You know, it's so weird because mm-hmm. I can listen to Bjork and I love it because it's so out there. But then I listen to this, which I don't think is that far away. But yeah. somehow I pull away from it. I'm like, oh well, this this is too pretty, you know, <laughs> or or this is this has too much repetition. Like what? And I'm just thinking to myself, why am I having this reaction? Because we're it's like trained to have this reaction. Uh, they, uh, that must be it, and that's unfortunate. It really is really, because well, it's it's a beautiful <laughs> piece of music and. And I'm I'm sitting here listening to it, and I was like, "Why can't I love this?" <laughs> but that's more just about me than anything. Because <laughs> she's not Bjork, and I'm not saying in a bad way. I just think that, like, you know, back to that bad review. I, really I think what love infuriated Bjork. I do too. That I think what infuriated me most about the bad review that Sarah Kirkland Snyder received is that you can tell the reviewer was like, "Here's another woman composer." And I think she's going to sound like the previous woman composer on the concert. That was my mm-hmm. first internal vibe. Because there's like, usually oh, only I one, really like, so let's I, freak you out. Know, there's two. Well, I, exactly. Well, there's there's two, and um, maybe all women's voices sound the same, which they don't, obviously. But I think it was. I think I think the reviewer was just a little like peeved that I was like, wait, I still want to hear the other woman, and that this new woman is is young too and doesn't sound like her and and goth stuff i don't know and candy floss goth which by the way at the same meeting with my students where i was playing this album like this one girl was showing was showing off proudly her former goth stage and that she couldn't wear to wait to wear that dress again for halloween so i don't think goth is bad by the way to the said reviewer 
Um, you know, again, back to, um, you know, is this classical or pop? Like, again, I was thinking about movements from the Bulkham's uh, Songs of Innocence and Experience. Have you guys heard that piece? Because he ends with the reggae, out of all things. Oh. <laughs> no, for real. Oh. He does. He That's does. Awesome. Um, uh, because it's like, there's some like big, there's some big choral movements. It's like very much classical choir with orchestra. And then there are definitely pop movements. And I'm like, okay, so we called this, um, you know, postmodernism. I don't know where we're in right now. Post, 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 post. Not sure. Um, Neo post. Yeah, maybe. Um, Oh my God. (laughs) I guess we we could ask. So the singers. Pre. Pre post. Pre post. Pre pre post. Um, Pre post. Pre neo post. You know, I, I think it's in the same debate. It's it's kind of the same debate as to um, what's the difference between musical theater and opera, because then yeah. you think of like the type of singing. And the reason I mentioned this is because Shara Nova, or formerly um, Shara um, Worden, is one of the main singers on this mm-hmm. album. And I was like, is she classical? Is she indie? Do you know what I'm saying? Well, that was that was kind of another um, question I had about this piece. Is like. And I think this kind of goes to your point, Jen, that it is it's meant as a recorded album because it really seems like the singers that were chosen for this, it kind of seems like in a way they kind of own this now. I can't imagine you know? it with any other voices. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, we mm-hmm. as as composers, we typically write a song and we write it in such a way that many different people can do it. But I think that this piece works it 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 cannot work with an opera singer it just can't you need that mm-hmm. kind of intimate quality to the voice that you're only going to get through recorded vocals and not in a live situation or at least not in a live situation without extensive miking right so again mm-hmm. that you know that or pushes this piece closer to out, needing yeah. the production it it pushes this piece closer to needing the kind of production that comes from like being in a band or being being a being a a, a you know a singer songwriter or whatever mm-hmm. so well, room full of teeth feels the same way even though most of their at least most of what i've seen of their productions are are meant to be sung live mm-hmm. they are they do consider themselves a band without those eight singers um they lose a little bit of their sound and right. even um you know a I can't remember his name at the moment. Jeff, maybe, uh, from Loadbang. Oh, Jeff Gavitt. Yeah, he subs with them sometimes and mm-hmm. has, has, you know, has said that his goal when he subs is to sound as like that part. You know, he's subbing for that person and therefore he must right. fit into that part. And he's done this on multiple um, parts, even for Carolyn Shaw's, uh, is it Partita? I can't remember the yep. name of her. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and, you know, so he shifts when he subs for a different person. And I think maybe that's that's the route I'm starting to see for a segment of the new music community is that we start to have some of these, at the moment, we're not able to label them, <laughs> um, genres where it's, it's for the person, it's for the production, and uh, it's... You know, it's kind of magical because you need those specific people. Mm -hmm. And without it, it's a wholly different piece. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I keep 
and it, it I don't think it's just this piece, you know, whenever I encounter a piece that is straddling all worlds, it's it's difficult because we are so I think we are so indoctrinated in in our education process. Like you listen to this this way, you listen mm-hmm. to that that way. You know, well, that's you know, that binary thing doesn't really work anymore. It really, really doesn't. So it's Which like binary how do we... things do work anymore. Light switches. Although okay. dimmer switches are really nice, I have to say. I was gonna say. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think Sarah said in, in an interview that that um that she well, where did my sentence go? Lemoncello. Rob, continue. I'll remember someday what I was saying. Sorry. Okay. That train left. I was done, but <laughs> you know, I I'll tell you what. Um, so on a similar but slightly different topic. So about writing for specific voices, um, and another reason why I'm very curious to hear this performance is I've actually heard Sharonova live, and she's amazing. And uh, I think when did I see her? I want to say when I was in grad school. This was during the Cincinnati Music Now Festival, and she brought like the ukulele and her guitar and she was amazing live and kind of sounded similar. So the thing is with that show, she was mic'd. So I'm very curious how BG is going to produce this show. Very mm-hmm. curious. I think she has um, to be mic'd. There's some, there's a fair amount of processing even on the voices, right? Right. There might be some pre-recorded processing. That might apply. Yeah. Yeah. But I think I'm going to be going to a show, if you know what I'm saying. Also, I really yeah. hope that she's after my piece. Not to do a plug on my piece, but I really <laughs> do not want to be after any of that. Uh, right. No way. No way at all. Like, my career would be over. Done. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, I heard Jennifer Jolly concert. She sucked. Never. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of remember where that sentence from earlier was going. And and I think it was that, uh, you know, she was sort of bucking against her, the formal education system and saying that, you know, I was she was forced to write in some specific characters and specific techniques um, that didn't necessarily suit her all the time. And uh, and this this piece is a really full return to that. She incorporated pop and she incorporated folk very freely and with no guilt. And I think... I hope that's where we're heading. Well, I hope that where we're heading is to a place where everything can exist at the same time. Yep. To the place where without judgment. Without judgment. Yeah. Mm, Where we get to there. Well, yeah, of course we are. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I mean. We're composers. We can't have no judgment. I mean, um, come on. <laughs> I think it's more that we live in like the ultimate reality TV universe right now. And everybody well, yes. thinks that their opinions are amazing. Well, yes, totally. <laughs> but at the same at the same time, you know, you could you could have a piece like Sarah's on a concert or, you know, one of the songs on a concert. And then you could move to something that's, you know, very Sorry, I wanted to let that car pass. Okay. Um, th- we you lost could, you. I wasn't pausing for dramatic effect or anything. Um, I think you should leave that in. <laughs> I probably will. Um, but like, you can have a piece like 
you could have one of Sarah's songs, and then the next piece you could have something that's very textural and noise based and then you can have something that's very you know new complexity and then you could have something that's minimal and then you can have like a complete ambient piece you know that would be that would be way more interesting than how we put on concerts right now which is Mm -hmm. oh this goes together this goes together this goes oh yeah all these things go together let's put them on a concert (laughs) you know i don't do that i don't know Mm-hmm. I can't. Well, stand I'm not saying that. you do it. But. I know, but I can't stand. I, I mean, like that's that's where my judgment lies. It's not in the quality of the individual pieces because even if I don't like it, like I can see the sense that somebody else might. But it's got to be a mm-hmm. show. It's got to have a beginning, a middle, and end. It's got to get the person out of. I was just at dinner with my spouse and we fought, and now I'm sitting in this concert hall and I'd rather be anywhere else. It's got to pull them out of their own. Oh, I thought you were saying what that happened tonight. Oh, God, no. <laughs> it's like, Andrew. <laughs> Andrew, put the crap beard down. Stop <laughs> drinking that. Hashtag yeah. Andrew shaming. Yes. <laughs> what did we call it? What did you, you guys came up with this? Bad beer, Andy. Bad beer, Andy. Yep. <laughs> That's going to be his Twitter handle. It, sh- it should he ever join Twitter? He knows now that I like go on Twitter to pick on him because he doesn't <laughs> have he can't it. See it. <laughs> Poor Andrew. It's perfect, but but yeah, no, I think I think this does a really great job of pulling the audience out of all of that mess of the rest of their day with the prelude. It has really wonderful structure on its own but it could also you know introduce us to something entirely different do you think this piece could survive a semester's worth of composition lessons i haven't tried it in a typical music composition uh program what do you mean by survive i mean that it wouldn't just get like mangled and and um you know the- basically theoried up <laughs> um it depends on the institution and i think it depends on the person who's teaching said lessons of, um, yeah, i was of thinking course, back but... and i know that seems like a cop-out answer i was thinking back to um when i was in school and i'm not going to even tell you which schools or who it was or any of that but we had a person who wrote i guess very basic chords. And I guess what I'm saying was um, I personally didn't like their music because I thought it was uninteresting. But then we talked about like this person had an orchestra reading. And I remember one of my professors was like, let's talk about it. When I went to, you know, study composition in the 1970s, you had to write in a serialist atonal style. This would Mm -hmm. not be acceptable, but now it is acceptable. But what do you think? And I guess my response to that person's piece compared to the album we're listening to is I think this album that Sarah Kirkman Snyder wrote is interesting, whether it's like style, like stylistically, yes, it's very tonal. It's very produced. Parmi is like, who cares? It's a good piece of music. Um, Actually, actually, I would, I would kind of fight back on that tonal statement. I don't really think it is that tonal. I agree with you too. And maybe that's why I think it's a little bit more interesting than like what this other person wrote like many years ago. Right. I think, I think where it, it, it is interesting for me is the fact that it explores these different pitch worlds, but it does so in a way that is closer 
I guess just because of the repetition, it does have in it. I mean, even if you're doing something that's, you know, not based around a scale or a key or whatever, just by virtue of the fact that you have repetition, you're going to start hearing that as being a world that -hmm. you live in, Mm -hmm. as opposed to a completely free, you know, 12, 12 tone or, or even more, um, space where anything can happen all at once. And that doesn't sound like a world that just seems like you're, you're floating, you're floating out in space and you're not anchored. But by the, by the virtue of having the repetition, then you start codifying that into a world. So part of the reason that we use, that I use this so prevalently for listening for my students is that, you know, when I initially teach them, I have, I, um, I'm the only one who has just, just master's degrees, not a doctorate in the comp, pro, uh, comp, you know, teaching staff here at Fredonia. And so I end up with a lot of freshmen and first semester students in composition. Um, and so I always kind of, you start are them shaping and, the future. I try, um, <laughs> leave that right there. Um, uh, there's a couple of concepts that we go over from the very beginning and uh, and they are required to do some listening, but but one of the things that I need to get them to understand is that what I teach them is all every audience member on the planet has two two different barriers that you have to understand and live between. One of them is the threshold of boredom, and one is the analytical maximum, and those are different for every single person. Yep. And I think Sarah's piece falls between those for almost everyone. You know, Mm -hmm. Babbitt might be above the analytical maximum for some, but below it for others. Some people can listen to Babbitt and hear beauty. Some people listen to minimalism and it's well below their threshold of boredom. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think her piece in particular doesn't live anywhere too long to exhaust the ear. And that's what keeps it interesting. Mm. Mm. And my problem is my, some of my students only write with like five notes at a time and they call that whole five note experience a melody. And, and we need to like, I I think that's called pentatonic. It is (laughs) literally, I need them to leave (laughs) pentatonic. (laughs) I also need them to not listen to this podcast this week. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man! Yeah, when I was when I was in China, I was safe because a <laughs> the podcast app was blocked in China, and b you know we were I was speaking in English for an hour. They they already grown they already like groaned at that in class. They weren't going to go out of their way to listen to me for another extra hour and a half talking to someone else that they can't understand. So I was really safe. But now that I'm now that I'm back in the States, I'm like, oh yeah, they could legitimately listen to this. Hmm. Better watch what I say. Hmm. Who's your drunk friend? <laughs> hey, Elijah Craig is a respectable bourbon. It is. It's, it's my fall choice for bourbons. The last, and this is going to be kind of weird because we're going to have like, we started off uh, this season with an overdrinks. This week was Derek. And then we're going to do another overdrinks right away. So we're getting a lot of drinking. I was going to say we like to drink. There's no problem with that. Yeah. Again, we're composers. Exactly. Yeah. 
Composers fine. and percussionists, the two <laughs> best drinkers in the orchestra. And you're both. I am <laughs> both. Exactly. <laughs> I win. You do win. <laughs> you, you do. Yeah. You do win. <laughs> so uh, we should probably listen to something, right? Probably. At, yeah. At this, at this point, let's let's listen to a few, uh, s- some of these, you know? Yes. And that that's that's really all I can say. Not knowing if we can play the whole song or if we can play some of it, parts of songs, or I mean, I, I want to give a setup that works for whatever we do. Um, you know, you could always get away with saying, "Let's listen to an excerpt," and then oh yeah, you even end a full song playing, is an excerpt. A full yeah. song is an excerpt. Yeah. Okay. There you go. I'll do that. <clears throat> Sorry. All right, so let's uh, let's listen to let's listen to some excerpts or an excerpt. Let's excerpt this. Oh my god! There's no good way to say this. You can edit me out of that. That's fine. No, this is fine. Anyway, we're gonna listen to some excerpts from Unremembered. I shouldn't sound so happy when I say this because this is not a happy song cycle. Not Think really. of your gothic self. <laughs> gothic. I was thinking too much of Candy Floss. <laughs> anyway, Unremembered by Sarah Kirkland Snyder. Here it is. Some of it. <laughs> I... I... She left our house in the dead of night My sister went to find her We did not know why she left She fled as fast as fire Fast as fire Fast as fire Shoot them out in the woods 
Anyway, um, one place I did want to get to was like, this piece is about childhood memories, you mm-hmm. know, and I think it does a pretty good job of evoking, so especially, I think, I think especially when you read the text and just, just read it as, as a straight up poem, it really does a good job of having that sense of being a child, being, and, and you know, being unsure of yourself, being in a place where, you know, you, you clearly as a child, you shouldn't be, or you Mm. shouldn't, you shouldn't be made to feel these things like, like fear and confusion and, and stuff like that. I mean, obviously as a child, you have to feel those things. Otherwise you end up as a really messed up adult, but, Mm -hmm. um, you know, what can we, you know, explore that a little bit, maybe personally, I was trying to to think about that like that that might be an interesting place to go I I was thinking too um, another reason why I like these because when we think of children's literature or like children's uh, stories and songs and like that they're all happy or silly and I like that you know in our our, um, historical literature we have Grimm's fairy tales those are pretty dark right Mm -hmm. Um, and they're meant and I, I think I, what I liked about this is that we were reminded that, you know, kids are, you know, three-dimensional characters. They're people, too. They're young people, but they're people nonetheless. And so when I was reading these, again, again, it was reminding me of, like, the Songs of Innocence and Experience, but also Grimm's Fairy Tales and kind of like these darker children's themes. Actually, have you guys seen the film Pan's Labyrinth? It's kind of reminding me of that where, like, this – have you guys seen that film? I think I've seen no. the trailers for it. It's beautiful and heartbreaking. And I want to see it again, and I probably won't because it's heartbreaking. But it's this dark, fantastic children's tale. And so I was thinking about that while listening to the songs, which, by the way, as a whole album, I know we've only played excerpts so far. Um, If you guys are listening to this, you guys really need to listen to the entire album. I think it's very organic in its construction. On her band camp. Yes, on her band camp. You can do that. Go Uh, go buy it. Just just buy it. it. Patronize. No, patronize. Uh, Support. Not patronize. (laughs) That's the wrong word. I think it is the right word, but I always feel dirty saying it that way. Yeah, right. Go support a composer, damn it. (laughs) Yes, go support a composer, listen to the whole album, because I really do think it's a set of experiences, you know, good and bad from children. Also, I think I remember reading something about Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, you know, that very famous and long-running children's show. Um, Mm -hmm. He would actually talk about dark subjects, and he was like one of the first people on television to talk to children directly and say what happens when something dies or what happens, where does the water go when, you know, you're done taking a bath? Just like things that like kids are naturally curious, but actually having these conversations with them because children are people too. 
I love yeah, that. Yeah, that bath <laughs> thing is pretty dark. <laughs> that was I gotta look this up. But no, but you get what you get what I'm saying. Like I, I yeah. don't oh, yeah. I don't remember if like um because like actually something with death, it's something children have to discuss and I remember this is not Mr. Rogers, but on Sesame Street, like one of their characters died. Yeah. And yeah. they had to address it because the actor mm-hmm. died. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, I think I remember to, that episode. Yeah, right. I think I remember this too. I think this is when I was like four, or five, or something mm-hmm. like. Yeah, there was like I was like, what happened? To, what happened to this guy? And you know, and they had they went through all the characters like Big Bird. And oh, it was uh, it was uh, Mr. Hooper. Yes, yes, Mr. Mr. Hooper. Hooper died. Yeah. I remember none of this. <laughs> Jamie, <laughs> sorry, okay. it's okay. I was probably a little but, too sheltered at that point, anyways, but. <laughs> I mean, I was trying to, I was really trying to come up with, uh, with some childhood memories that were, you know, either analogous or at least parallel to some of the, some of his, uh, this poet's writing Hmm. and I just couldn't do it. Maybe I, maybe I lived too, too much of a sheltered, you know, it wasn't suburban. I mean, I lived in a city. Mm-hmm. But I mean that maybe that's the problem. Like he had these experiences because he was out in the uh, in rural in a rural area where there is so much unknown. You know, like every street corner, like every five houses is lighted, and it's all you know. There's parental supervision everywhere. For me, when I was a kid, you know, you can't you can't go anywhere. And that's actually one of the one of the main things I had. Like one of one of my main kind of regrets that I had as a kid that I, I wasn't able to ever just be out there and be bored like <laughs> you could be when you're living out in the country or something. You know, I, I always looked at, um, just because I was a huge Smashing Pumpkins fan when I was in high school. Yes. And, yeah. And I looked at the song 1979 and the video they, they made for that. And I just look at that kind of wistfully, like, oh man, you know, that was, they were, Kids were able to be bored and have some freedom to go somewhere they were, where they weren't under constant supervision, you know. And I feel like some of the experiences that the poet describes in this could only happen when you can only just be a kid and not have an adult next to you saying, oh, no, 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 it's okay. This is just that. You know, you don't have to be worried about that. But you're a kid and you're able to be afraid or uncertain mm-hmm. or confused because there is no adult behind you saying like, oh, don't worry. Don't worry, sweetie. It's it's just this, you know. Yeah. So well, I, mean, like, I think. It, it could be. It could partially be rural. rural. I did. So I was not a little kid when we lived out in the sticks. Um, but I spent from eighth grade on in a really mm. small district. And that was, yeah, you're right. There's a little less supervision because there's like 60 acres. How much trouble can you right. get in? Like there's probably no other people until mm-hmm. you get to the rod and gun club. That's, that's literally 60 acres that way. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and there's a little bit scarier stuff because you're right. It's not as well lit. It's not. There's you know, go to a friend's house and you know they also have sixty acres and there's more trouble to get into. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm trying to think. I, my the scariest night for me was not in the woods though. The scariest night for me was at camp when like everybody thought they lost us. 
my brother and I. What? <laughs> yeah, my brother, uh, my brother, my parents didn't feel well, and so like they fell asleep, and uh, my brother and I played outside until it was dark, and then my parents were still asleep, and so I made him a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and he was scared because. Um, my parents weren't feeling well and they hadn't woken up all afternoon. So he slept in my room and, uh, and my parents only checked his and like the mm-hmm. light wasn't shining on my bed. Right. To see that we were there. Oh no. And they woke up the entire campground <laughs> looking for oh, us. Oh man. And we were on the river. So like they parked all the pickup trucks pointed at the river looking oh, for no. us. Wow. Um, mm-hmm. and like most of this isn't even my story. You know, I remember waking up and Right, it's your parents' story. Why the hell everybody's screaming? Like, because mm. they were, they finally found us and my dad was pissed because he didn't check my room. <laughs> he only checked my brother's room. My mother checked both. And so, you know, he's like going out to tell all of his friends to get their pickup trucks away from the, <laughs> from the river. Um And I woke up to my mother hyperventilating. So a lot of it is just like assumed fear. Like I didn't know what was wrong for the, you know, minute and a half that she was freaking out when I was awake. But those were some of the scarier times because, you know, you're right next to a body of water and you're it's summer. So nobody cares. And there was not excessive drinking, but a fair amount among the adults. So, (laughs) but I just look at some of the poetry, you know, he's talking about being around a campfire and, you know, looking out into the woods and seeing a witch and that like Mm. stays with him or you know uh kind of uh walking around and then you know you think you see something oh is it a log is it a bed is it this or is it a bear is it this is it that no it's a (laughs) it's the missing person you know Mm -hmm. it's it's a dead body like that definitely has kind of a stephen king vibe to it yeah that never happened in my neighborhood (laughs) right so it's like it's like I don't, you know, this this is a very specific. These are specific memories, but I'm just trying to connect as it, thinking about my own childhood. And and again, I I think it is kind of a. You had to be in a place where you weren't supervised all the time, and mm-hmm. maybe, maybe that's just not that that just doesn't enter into my experience. Well, I also wonder if uh, this is very much a New England experience um, and not just rural, but specifically the imagery of the woods and what the woods mean in poetry and specifically what the woods mean from New England poets, Hmm. um, Uh especially with the idea of death. So I was thinking of um, like Emily Dickinson, for example, also um, the line from the Robert Frost poem, you know, the, the poem Stoppy by Woods on a Snowy Evening. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that poem is about death. And then there's that line from that poem, the woods are lovely, dark, and deep. And I was just getting very much a New England vibe, kind hmm. of like a yeah. gothic New England vibe. We're going to use gothic in an appropriate <laughs> way <laughs> um, um, from this, you know. So um, I definitely think that the experience is from the poet himself that he he is pulling from a tradition an american new england tradition of poetry hmm. and using the woods as part of the imagery and the world creation that is used in this song cycle yeah bam there it is wrap up right there <laughs> <Ta-da>! <laughs>
I gotta drink these beverages more often. They're <laughs> not usually that articulate. <laughs> well, I think we can. I think we can wrap this up. I think that was a good place. Yeah, yeah place to end. So, all right, Jen and Jamie, Jeez. thank you for doing this. And uh, Jen, have fun. Thank at you. Bowling Green, say yeah. uh, be, make Sarah your new BFF. Yep. I will. I will get selfies. That will be my life goal. There you go. <laughs> also, Sarah, I'm not crazy. I promise. I promise you a lot. I'm not crazy. <laughs> Just like me, please. Okay. We're all crazy. <laughs> <laughs> all right. There it is. Yep. <laughs> Thanks for listening. As always, if you want to find out more about adjective new music or lexical tones, please go to our website, www.adjectivenewmusic.com.